Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, I'll be talking about a record month at the Chinese box office, the closing film of the Venice Film Festival, From Vegas to Macau Free, plus Paul and I will be talking about Dante Lam's latest Two to Four. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again from his brand new news desk is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Um, well, I mean, same old news desk, but a different desk elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we were on a short hiatus, uh, so I guess it's worthwhile to spend a little bit of time uh, catching up. Unfortunately, we missed a couple recording windows, and we, we, I did put up an announcement on this, and we do do apologize. Had planned on covering either Ant Man or Inside Out, and schedules just weren't aligning. I had relatives in. Kevin was busy with stuff he was doing. He, w- you were on a trip, right, uh, for a while, and then I went on a trip yep. to Singapore uh, for about a week, and uh, just got back from that. So we had a lot of stuff going on, and unfortunately, we couldn't get in uh, that Ant Man or Inside Out review. Both really good, really fun movies. I enjoyed both. Did you see both, Kevin? I did, and simply said, I mean, like both. Yeah. So Watch if, both. If, like if, both. If, if you get a, if you get a chance, uh, really, really fun. I'm a little bit biased for Inside Out because it is about uh, a little girl, and so yeah, I was just tearing up and thinking of my daughter in years to come throughout that entire movie. Uh, but yeah, we've got other stuff to, to talk about. Uh, but I do want to say a little bit about how what a good time I had in Singapore. Um, not because of the time in Singapore. That was great, hanging out at the hotel, you know, eating uh, food at hawker centers and stuff. I love Singapore. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing city. Um, I love the the difference in the vibe that's there from, from say, Hong Kong. Um, though, of course, I love Hong Kong, too. But uh, one of the things I love about traveling is all the in-flight movies. So we took our trip. This time was the first time flying Singapore Air. Normally, we fly Cathay. And that was an amazingly pleasant experience. And they had a wonderful selection of films. And I was able to catch up on a bunch of stuff from last year, Hong Kong films, that I just hadn't been able to see. So I got to see The Seventh Lie. Um, I got Why did you have to watch The Seventh Lie? <laughs> I watched The Seventh Lie last week, and I don't know why you wasted that three-hour flight watching that well, movie. Well, you, you don't... I mean, you have to, but... You don't yeah. know until you're you're kind of there, right? In, in, I know. In, in the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I took I took it upon myself to, to watch that. Um, I caught up on the actual Singapore slash Hong Kong production of uh, King of Mahjong, and then um, the one that perhaps probably blew my mind the most, and I was so glad I finally got a chance to see it, and I can't wait to get a hold of it on video, if and when it ever gets there, is Dot to Dot. Um, just wow. a, 
Uh, that's a that's a film that really for me is right in my wheelhouse because it's about Hong Kong and and nostalgia and just a, a lot going on in that film that I really really loved. So um, yeah, I was really pleased to be able to you know have those few hours. I think it's like a four hour um, short jaunt over there, and just to have that time to catch up on a couple movies. There was a ton of stuff that I had wanted to watch too, and just you know the the flight didn't allow for it. Uh, there was, I think, uh, Taking of Tiger Mountain was on there, but that was like over two hours, so I couldn't really fit that one in. And um, so, yeah, that's the one thing, that that's the kind of movie geek I am. It's like I look more forward to the flight and watching the in-flight movies than actually getting to the location and uh, doing the stuff there. So, but uh, yeah, had a good time. Uh, surprisingly, it was cooler in Singapore while we were there than it actually was in Hong Kong. It's been sweltering uh, here in Hong Kong. I think we just passed a few days ago a record heat temperature. It's like the hottest it's ever been in 130 years here in Hong Kong. So uh, we're sweating here, folks, and we're watching movies to try and keep cool. So Kevin, what have you been up to in the interim? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Wait. Was it? Was this, this? not your first time to Singapore. This is like your second, third time. Yeah. I... It's it's our second trip. Um, we like it a lot, and I think uh, you know we're just gonna try and do at least an annual trip for a few days because uh, it's pretty easy to get to. Um, it's more expensive than Hong Kong in some ways, but if you know what you're doing and you know where you're going, you can really uh, cut your costs considerably, and and you can do a quick trip over there on the cheap. Yeah, oh no, it's a great, great city, and I went there last year, and I and I liked it a lot. But the the one of the things for me is that if you're going the first time, and by the time actually done by your first trip, you kind of out of things to do. So I was wondering, like, what were you able to find new things to do the second time, or were you just sort of repeating yeah, things the, that you did the first time? The, when we went last year, we were doing it um, in part. It was a it was part personal, part business trip um, for my wife's business. And she, she had a business meeting, but she also had a friend getting married. So we had the Chinese banquet thing to do. And we were kind of really only there for about four days. And so we had a couple key things that we wanted to hit. If I think if I mentioned um, to you guys, I don't, I don't, we weren't recording at that time. We were on hiatus, but uh, um, I was really taken by the HBO series Sarangoon Road at the time um unfortunately that series got canceled it's it's, so it's only a one season thing uh but i really love that series and so i thought to myself well i'm gonna go and because you can't buy it here it's not available on dvd you have to order it from australia but i thought well surely i can get it in singapore because it's a series about singapore i'm gonna in fact i'm gonna go to sarangan road find a video store and i they 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 must have it and of course they didn't and I was, I was dumbfounded. In fact, I, I was very hard-pressed to find any video stores in Singapore. I finally managed to track down one, and the selection was uh, extremely limited. I guess they're just not into uh, the physical media, and, and they're getting it through other means now in Singapore. I actually went to the hotel concierge at one point. I was like, you know, dude, where's the video stores? Where can I go? And they see, they were, like, looking at me, scratching their eyes. They said, well, I think there's one in this mall. And I went to the mall. And I asked information and like, nope, sorry, it was closed down a couple years back. So, uh, oh, so you should yeah. ask me. You should yeah. ask me last year when I went. I spent like a couple hundred Singaporean dollars on Blu-rays and DVDs. Did you? Well, yeah. Next yeah. time, next time we go, I'll hit you up and let, you'll have to tell me where your hotspots are because uh, they're really few and far between if, if they're there. And even this trip, I mean, I wasn't really looking for anything, 
but I didn't see, you know, normally in the old days, you would see a couple shops in every mall or on every street corner and uh, things are changing. So, but yeah, we, we did a couple things, you know, we did a couple of the touristy things. My stepmom came with us this, this time. She had never been there. And so we took her and, but there's a couple core things we like to do. We like to go to Chinatown and um, visit the Maxwell Hawker food center next, next to that. And, uh, Mostly for us, it's just about kind of relaxing and eating. We got to see a lot of the, the buildup because they just had their 50th national anniversary. And they had this big sort of parade. And we were there the week before that happened. So we got to see sort of the dress rehearsal. They had the fighter jets flying over the head over our hotel. They had some big fireworks displays. And, and so we got to see all of that. That wasn't the official one. That was kind of like the dress rehearsal. So they were, you know, the it's... It's interesting. It's like a week before the 4th of July, if they do a dress rehearsal for 4th of July. Um, so it was interesting to see that. And uh, we, had, we had a good time. It's, it was a relaxing time, to be sure. It's good. Yeah. So you, though, you've been doing ah, exciting okay, stuff, go. right? You're, here we uh, go. You've, uh, you've moved up in the world, as we would like to say, in, in, uh, in the working industry, as it were. So tell us a little bit about what's going on in the life of Kevin. What has been going on? You were talking about Singapore Airlines, and don't worry, I'm not offended. Um, that's and why would I be offended? Because I am. Uh, I've got a new job. Um, I've left uh, Yes Asia, and I am now the um, entertainment editor at the magazines, the in-flight magazines for um, uh, uh, Cathay Pacific and Dragonair. So it's Discover both Discovery Magazine and Silk Road Magazine. Uh, I'm the new entertainment editor for both those magazines now. Well, excellent, and congratulations, sir. It couldn't have happened to a more hardworking uh, gentleman. And as we used to like to call you as, when you were at Yes Asia as the uh, editing monkey, you've now become the editing gorilla, right? I I guess. I mean, monkey, <laughs> what, Donkey Kong kind of thing? I don't know. But, Thro yeah. Um, throwing barrels at people? <laughs> no, I, I don't get to throw. I'm actually not that powerful um it's the entertainment so if you next time you fly Cathay Pacific you will see my name I think starting in um October the October issue you'll probably start seeing my name um at the magazine so uh yeah uh please do try and fight please we, we started a new design in July and that's why I got to join because they were doing new designs and trying new things and and we we're definitely doing um a lot of new things with the in-flight magazine, trying to you know, bring you know, kind of redefine what you, how you read in-flight magazines or how you see in-flight magazines. Trying to make something that's cool and hip. So yeah, definitely check out the Discovery Magazine app on it on your iTunes store. Um, um, yeah, fly Cathay Pacific and you can read uh, some of um, stuff from me and uh, my very very talented colleagues. All right, excellent. And so that is in not just in physical form; it's in app form, and people can download it and and view it for free, right? That's correct. You, yeah, you can get it uh, free on the App Store. I think it should be worldwide, but you know, I'm not too sure. Yeah, about well, that. we'll check that out, and we'll we'll definitely try to put the links up for that app on the uh, website and in the Facebook page and other relevant places as well. All right, well, I think it's time to move on from our small talk and get into some actual news. So, Kevin, let's throw it back over to you at the news desk. 
first up at the news desk, uh, China had um last time we we're talking about you know smashing box office records and uh and uh what was that film we we're talking about Monster Hunt smashing box office records. So um it's only natural that we kind of continue that story. Um it is a new month and uh July apparently had a was a record month uh for China as one can expect. I mean. You had a uh, you know the highest single grossing weekend. You had the highest single grossing week. You have uh, Monster Hunt becoming the biggest Chinese film of all time, and now July is officially the highest grossing month on record uh, in China. Um, total box office revenue for the month was five point four nine billion RMB. Now we're talking about U.S. dollars. That's eight hundred eighty four million. Although I don't know if that's going to change with the uh, depreciating uh, yuan. Uh, news that came out of China today, but anyway, as of earlier this week, it was 884 million, um, which is a pretty good number. Um, so not only is that the the highest, biggest monthly revenue of all time in China, according to local media, this number is actually higher than the yearly box office of 2002 to 2005 combined. That's 2002, 2003, 2004. That's five, four years. Of yearly box office combined ten years ago is is still smaller than what China could earn now in a month. Um, the success, as we mentioned last episode, it came primarily from um, Monster Hunt, which is now the the second highest grossing film of all time in China. Um, Monkey King Hero is back, the animated film that replaced Kung Fu Panda Two as the highest grossing animated film of all time in China. And um, a 2D superhero spoof named Jambing Man, which uh, apparently has a lot of Hong Kong star cameos, but would never see because, you know, it's too Chinese essentially for, for Hong Kong. And um, isn't uh, a JCVD in that? Yes, yes. I yeah. think in the end. The end. Yes. Yes. The, uh, I think he has like a cameo towards yeah. the end. He's like the final bad guy. Anyway, it's not a big deal. It's not a big role. Um, yes, there are some people. Because July was the so-called blackout month and seriously if another journalist writes that China only allows 34 foreign films per year I'm going to smack them in the head because seriously okay I'm going to sit here and explain this um, China allows two types of foreign films uh, in okay one is the um, uh, so called revenue share model which means the original studio in the states or in whatever original studio gets 25% of the revenue in China this is what we what what Outsiders traditionally call a foreign film release in China. Uh, most Hollywood tent posts are, um, are imported uh, under the system, the the revenue sharing system. Okay, that's thirty four films, but the China also allows an additional um, um, thirty to forty films that are actually sold on what we call a flat fee basis, which means the Chinese distributor pays one flat fee and the revenue goes completely to the distributor in China. That's another 30 to 40 films, which means that actually each year China gets about 70 to 80 foreign films. Now, even though last month, July, was the so-called blackout month that didn't allow revenue shared um, foreign films, there were other foreign films released in China because they were released on a flat fee deal basis. So films like Shaun the Sheep, Imitation Game, um, a few films actually did open um, uh, in China during July. Um, nevertheless, yes, domestic film had a market share of 95.6%. 
um, during uh, during the month. Um, so that means you know actually foreign films did make some money in China um, in July. But anyway, uh, my digression is is over. Um, yeah, China's big. That's that's the conclusion, I suppose. All right. Well, I mean, it's uh, you talk about a little bit about the revenue sharing uh, deals. Is that how like Transformers three and you know where they're doing co-productions? Do those come in under that, or are they under a different deal? No, no. Um, okay, actually, there hasn't been an official a, a, a official uh, U.S. Hollywood co-production. Um, is actually very rare. Um, how do I say this? Many studios want the co-production basis because they get more than 25%. But actually, films that are made with Chinese money doesn't necessarily mean that it's a co-production, um, at least under Chinese definition. For example, uh, yes, there were Chinese film, China film group money in uh, Jurassic Park, uh, sorry, Jurassic World, um, Fast and Furious 7 and uh, Alibaba invested in Mission Impossible uh, 5 but actually they're not recognized as official co-productions they, but under this deal they, actually these these, um, these investors they get part of the global well I think they get a good number they get a good percentage of the China gross and they may under you know deals that we don't you know read we don't know about they, they get some kind of revenue sharing for the global box office so these are these are actually just imported as regular so-called revenue sharing films. Um, but co-productions, I believe, the uh, U.S. side or yeah, the foreign side, would actually get more than twenty-five percent uh, of the revenue, which is why they want the co-production, uh, and it wouldn't be treated as an as a as a as an imported film. It'll be treated as a local film, uh, which is why. Which is why um, Hong Kong and Taiwan filmmakers or companies want that co-production status so much because they get you know better. They don't have to be. They don't have to worry about any quotas. They don't have to worry about you know that that limit in revenue sharing. So so that's that's why this explains why Hong Kong filmmakers and Taiwan filmmakers are now all looking for that big China money. Next up at the uh, news desk, uh, the Venice Film Festival. Uh, a couple weeks ago, about you know, 10 days ago, they announced um, their lineup. Actually, most of their lineup. I think they're still adding some last-minute titles. But um, it was kind of slim on the Asian selections. We had uh, we have a Chinese indie film called Bohemoth um, in, in the main competition. You have a um, documentary by Simon Liang in, uh, in the out-of-competition screening. The um, Martin Scorsese short film that was made for a uh, Macau casino is also showing. But um, I guess the biggest, the highest profile selection is um, Mr. Six, which is a Chinese film uh, produced by Huayi Brothers from director Guan Hu, who made a film called um, The Chef, the... I, I'm kind of struggling to think of the title, but it's like the the chef, the um. Uh, here we go. The chef, the actor, the scoundrel, which was a uh, quite a big hit actually in 2013. Uh, that film starred Zhang Hanyu and 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 Huan Bo um, and Liu Ye. Um, it was that was a uh, pretty hit comedy in 2013. But anyway, his latest film, Mister Six, will be closing this year's festival. So I guess you know. To make up for the lack of Asian cinema in other sections, they give a Chinese film uh, a, a pretty major slot, even though um, the film will be playing out of competition. Now, what is Mr. Six? Mr. Six is a comedy uh, starring director Feng Xiaogang, um, who did, you know, 
if you're the one uh, aftershock um he did act in some of his own films before anyway he's now he's starring in this film as a um uh what's the word a uh, retired hoodlum um who is out to get his son back from uh, from younger gangsters um and the film will be uh, actually officially opening in december in china and also in north america thanks to china lion um there's no hong kong release date set for this yet and i don't I'm not sure if there will be, but anyway, it's a pretty interesting film. I I I'm quite looking forward to to what uh, Guan Hu has in store and how Feng Xiaogang will be will be as a as a lead actor. If you remember, Feng Xiaogang had a small cameo in the uh, first in the opening scene of Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle. So so you have indeed seen um, uh, Feng Xiaogang act before. Um, yeah, Paul, you know what what. What thought, thoughts do you have uh, about this? Do you, well, yeah, I'm do you... ho- I'm hoping we get it here because I'm interested to see it. Uh, it's always it's always interesting to see uh, directors take on the acting chair uh, under another director. You know, not many do it, but some do, and uh, sometimes it produces very interesting results. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think you know Guan Hu has had a good idea. I mean, he has experience with actors. He shoots a lot of TV. He's also a very stylish filmmaker. Um, and I, yeah, I, I really look forward to what he, to see what he comes up with. And I just hope that we get to see it um, out here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that. Finally, uh, this week, uh, Vegas to Macau 3. What, not a real surprise. The last film was the, uh, it's still called the High grossing was the highest grossing local film this year until monster hunt came along so naturally uh wong jing is quickly the way he is he's quickly ready with a sequel um from vegas macau free has started shooting here in hong kong and the cast was announced last week um so in addition to chow and fat nick chen karina lao um <coughs> sorry andy lao who actually had a Spoiler: uh, A cameo in the in the end of the second film will be officially joining the cast uh, this time, um, and also joining will be Jackie Chan, uh, Charles Hearn, who was in the God of Gambler uh, uh, films as uh, the bodyguard character, and um, Chris Lee, who was in uh, the female Chinese pop star who was in uh, Bodyguards and Assassin, will be joining the the third film. Um, Interesting that Wang Jing said that the uh, actor's salaries actually account for about half the film's budget, uh, however high or low it's going to be. But anyway, of course, Wang Jing is the director again. And um, I, you know, no spoilers because I guess if we talk about the plot, we have to kind of have to review what happens in part two. Um, but I guess one interesting thing to note is that, you know, this kind of nostalgia thing, you know, 20 years ago, it was a big deal when Chow Fat, Andy Lau, and Jackie Chan were in a film together. 20 years later, it's still these guys. Uh, so I, I don't know what to think about this. Paul, Paul what, I, you're, are you a fan of God of Gamblers? Are you excited about this cast? What What's up? Uh, yes, yes. And I, I feel... Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, Great Shades of Hades. <laughs> it's, another, <laughs> it's another one of these Macau films that have been pretty terrible. But it's got Andy Lau and Jackie Chung. I mean, how can I say no to that? I just can't. Um, you know, just when I thought I'd gotten out, Wong Jing reels me back in. Um, yeah, it, uh, you know, he slaps these things together so fast. But with a cast like that, I just, I'm not going to be able to say no. And it's going to be Chinese New Year. 
I'm going to be high on sugar and, and whatnot, and, you know, from the celebrating. So I'm going to see it. He's going to get my money. I mean, who's not going to see it now? That cast, right? I mean, yeah. it, he can make the same same stuff. And just just to worse. clarify, so Andy Lau's in it, but Karina Lau is not, is it, right? Karina Lau is in it. How can she be in it? Don't ask. Uh. She is in it. Don't ask. She's in it. <laughs> okay. There we'll say go. no more. There's spoilers if you haven't seen yep. part two. Um, Charles Hung, uh, that's kind of exciting, too. He was a favorite character of... Uh, of the Gambler series, for sure. I mean, you know, his uh, bodyguard character, Dragon, was, uh, you know, liked by many people. Uh, and I think he's he and uh, uh, he and Sharla Chung probably had the most appearances across all the f- multiple films. You know, uh, you didn't get Andy in all the films, and you didn't get Chow Yun Fat in all the films because sometimes you had it was a Stephen Chow film and. Uh, but you know Charles Hung would pop up uh, in, in you know a lot of these, and uh, Charlotte Chung this would totally, too. This totally, it's totally this whole God of Gamblers, you know, um, um, nostalgia. But you're trying to make a God of Gamblers, revi- you know, um, a revitalized God of Gamblers. But well, uh, one uh, without uh, a new one without new stars, and two in a workingless system that doesn't allow films with gambling. Yeah, it's well, it's. It'll be interesting to see who Andy Lau is playing. If he's going to be playing his old character, or if he's playing, uh, he's wearing s- the red jacket. Somebody and new. the hairdo. And he's wearing the red jacket with the hairdo. So obviously, they're trying to bring back. They're trying to, you know, uh, bring that vibe back. It's, yeah. it's clear that he's he's trying to channel his old uh, um, God of Gambles character. Yeah. And I think I read a bit of news too. Maybe you can confirm this that uh, Wong Jing is working with Chiyun Fat on a film remake of the bund i didn't read any chinese language language news about that so i i refuse to believe it or because i mean the thing is that was what the last tycoon is supposed to be okay right so so i don't i don't see why they would go back and try to make that movie again Mm -hmm. they already made it once with the last tycoon yeah but the god of gamblers i mean come on (laughs) he keeps making that movie over and over again (laughs) So that's what, yeah. what he does. But, uh, yeah, it's he's going to get my money. Andy Lau's there. Jackie Chung's there. Can't well, I mean, all the Lunar New Year movies get my money anyway. So Eventually, eventually, yeah. Uh, that's true. Exactly. So there you all go. All right. Well, there's our news for this week. Uh, like it or not, that's what it is. But we'll be back in just a moment after this short musical interlude to talk about something more exciting, or maybe not, bike racing with... To the four. All right, and we're back. Our film this week, the Taiwan, is, is a purely Taiwan production, co-production, you know, because it's got some... No, dude, it's a, it's a Hong Kong. It's a Hong Kong film. Fully Hong Kong? It's, 
no, no, no. It's, it's a it's a China Hong Kong co-production. Obviously, made China yeah. money, but but actually officially counts as a Hong Kong film because Hong Kong money, uh, Hong Kong producer, Hong Kong director. Yeah, but mostly shot in Taiwan. So um, half partly shot Hong Kong. Uh, good. 50 60 percent shot in taiwan i think at least 60 yeah. percent shot in taiwan yeah, yeah. most of the outdoor outdoors but no I guess. no taiwan money at all actually no taiwan, no taiwan okay. money that, all right well that's interesting yeah. so yeah. yeah to the four um let's break down the story first two young cyclists join a bike racing team called radiant uh, they are ming played by eddie pang who has a cocksure attitude and he has the skills to back it up uh, Tian is played by Sean Doe, and he proves to be more reserved yet reliable when it comes to being a teammate. Under the guidance of their team captain, Jiwon, played by Siwon Choi, Team Radiant begins gaining prestige as they win more and more races. But when the team faces financial troubles, the racers are forced to go their separate ways and to join competing teams. And there's actually a lot more story beyond that, but that kind of sets up uh, the, the basics of, of the mm. overall plot. So we've got our three main leads here. You've got Eddie Pang. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie Pang. Is he the new Louis Koo? I don't know, but he certainly seems to be everywhere, and he's got the tan to rival the Cooster. Um, I guess he is the current hotness because, as we've talked about on a previous show, he was kind of the, the pop-up guest star in one of the Chinese New Year films, uh, replacing previously Andy Lau. And we have um, him also taking on roles like, uh, you know, Wong Fei Hong, and perhaps we might see him do more along that line. So, of course, he was in un, uh, Unbeatable uh, with Nick Chung, so he's getting a lot of high-profile work with high-profile stars and roles, and he's doing very, very well. I think he's, a, he's somebody that uh, films can tend to bank on. I see him a lot more just out and about on the street in terms of posters and promotional ads as well. And I think that uh, he's somebody that I certainly look forward to seeing in, in roles, though I'm not sure I really uh, liked him so much in this movie. I'll get into that in just a little bit. Sean Doe, um, we first saw him uh, back in, I want to say, 2010 in Under the Hawthorne Tree, a movie which uh, I really, really liked. Mo not, not so much because of him, but because of his co-star, the ineffably cute uh, Zhou Dongyu. But he was somebody I thought that uh, had a good, pretty good screen presence. He's continued to do quite a few China films, I guess. Um, a lot of the, what he's is listed in his filmography I haven't seen come down here. Maybe it's come through on festival circuits. He seems to, to have taken a bit of a break. He didn't do anything in 2013. And he, I think he has one film in 2014, but in 2015, he's back with a vengeance. I think he's, he's, he's got like five films coming out this year, with this one being one of them. Uh, he has sort of this brother-like rivalry with Eddie Peng's character, Ming. The two join the team at the same time, though Eddie Peng's character is a, uh, a bit cocky and a bit sure of himself, and so... Uh, the the reserved aspect of Sean Doe's character kind of plays tends to play second fiddle. Uh, Korean actor Siwon Choi is here. He's got his film start in uh, Andy Lau's Battle of Wits way back in 2006. He's also been in a couple things this year, Hong Kong-wise. He's been in Dragon Blade, uh, a film I still haven't had a chance to get out and see. He was also part of the Korean team uh, in the 
multinational film Helios from a few months ago. Uh, I, I really like him. He bounces around linguistically here. He has a couple scenes in Chinese, though. I, is he dubbed, Kevin? Do you know? No, no. I, um, Choi Siwon actually is working. He's a, by the way, I guess to those who don't know, he's a member of a pop group named Super Junior, yeah. a very hugely popular uh, Korean group. Um, no, he, he's actually trying very hard to hit the Chinese market, so I actually think... I think he might have yeah, been learning Chinese. It sounded like he was he was doing his stuff, or I the think he was doing was, his own. was really good. No, I think um, he was doing his own Chinese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, he's doing uh, he's doing Mandarin. He's do, he has a Korean scene and he has an English scene, which was really good as well. So he's kind of yeah, too bad the person acted against him. Was, <laughs> that's not, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, kudos to him. Uh, it's not that often we get actors who. Um, have that kind of flexibility and are given the chance to do that without you know somebody coming in and throwing a dubbing artist over on top of them. Then we have our female lead, uh, Wang Lodan, who appeared actually opposite romantically of Eddie um, as the character Chun in the Wong Fei-hung Rise of the Legend film. Um, she sets up as sort of the romantic tip of the triangle between uh, Ming and Teen. So Sean Do's character likes her and it seems like Eddie Peng's character goes to like her only after noticing that Sean Doe's character likes her. And, of course, she ends up liking the jerk Eddie Peng character, you know. So it's unfortunately that same kind of stereotyped love triangle that you've probably seen in tons of TV dramas, tons of movies. It's almost like a connect-the-dots kind of thing where you can predict the kind of beats that are going to happen for that. Uh, she's also a racer. She races for a, a girls' team called uh, Team Virgo, and she I think they only feature her in one race where she has an accident, and so part of her recovery is built into the narrative of building the relationship between uh, the, two, the two actors. So with that, what is this film about? Well, this film is really about bike racing. Um, it's really trying to teach... The public about bike racing more than anything. Uh, I learned more racing terms and more strategies for bike racing in this film than I think I've ever learned in any other sport film to date, boxing, mixed martial arts, or anything. And this film really kind of lays it out and narrates directly to you. If you're not all that interested in racing or its variations, uh, unfortunately, what you're then given as narrative turns out to be pretty thin filler. They don't pay enough attention to it, um, at least not for my taste. So the love triangle, which serves as sort of a crux between these characters, uh, at least between the characters of Eddie Pang's character and Sean Doe's character, they just kind of dump it by the end. I mean, she is she has a relationship with Eddie Pang, then there you have a falling out. She kind of goes back to the friendship with Sean Doe, but then goes back to Eddie. But then by the end, it's the big race, and we never see her again. Um, and there's a couple other characters who seem to be built up as important figures, but then you just kind of never are shown them again. So there's a, the coach of Team Radiant, and his daughter is like uh, this kind of quirky mechanic and she seems to have a liking for the team captain that never goes anywhere and and they the, the coach comes back a little bit later in the film but it, it, it's just like they spend so much focus on a lot of the races and a lot of the racing that they never really 
follow through with a lot of the other narrative aspects. Um, so we get this shifting friendship and rivalry among the three leads. You can kind of equate this out to Top Gun because that's, that's what I was thinking throughout this. Okay, so Sean Doe is the nice guy. He's Goose, basically. Uh, Eddie Peng is the hotshot. He's Maverick. And you've got uh, Choi Siwon. He is the top guy um, at the start. He's, you know, Iceman. Now, they're not exactly the same characters, but that's the kind of dynamic, you know, that they're, that they're building here. Um, fortunately, there's no, no such thing as a, a, a bike spin-out. So... Um, we don't get we don't get exactly the same endings as you as you get. Is that physically thing. possible? Well, there's a scene where they're kind that they, they, they kind of allude to uh, that you know that scene where there's rocks in the road and it looks like the guy's gonna go off the <laughs> cliff. You know, I was thinking, oh oh, what's gonna happen here? Um, so yeah, uh, the the dynamics dynamics are different, but it's that kind of template: the cocky guy, the reliable friend. And the, the top guy who's, you know, uh, the, the rival, basically. Um, a lot of the early races, I think, are dynamic. They're very well shot. Lots of attention to detail. You get a lot of very high shots of the bike races. I wasn't sure if these were real bike races sometimes. If these were shots using a lot of CG uh, on the street. Because you had streets that were cleared. And very high sort of helicopter tracking shots at times and or if these were just all extras that they brought in and paid um, to do a lot of this stuff so it's very well integrated um, early on the later races as they try and get a little bit, bit more dynamic there's a race in the desert where they've got dust and rain and uh, it's very cg-ish and it, it doesn't hold up um, quite as well but I think early on, it's just um, some pretty impressive stuff to watch. And I say that as somebody who knows very little, next to nothing about bike racing. I mean, Lance Armstrong, that's a name that I know, and that's about it. Um, don't watch bike racing. Not really excited about watching sports on TV in any way, shape, or form. But I did find the way that this was put together in terms of um, the pacing, the action, um, the choreography of what's going on. Very, very exciting, very dynamic. It does get a little bit preachy, though, because they are basically defining terms for you. They're, hold, they're holding your hand. They're explaining, you know, and it's news announcers who are doing this who probably wouldn't be doing this if you were watching an actual race. Um, so it does get a little bit preachy at times. Um, but overall, I think that uh, the, the earlier races are... Very exciting. And they cover different kinds. It's like open bike racing through a city. You've got um, terrain racing. Then they've got uh, inside track sport racing. And then they go to Korea at one point. So we get a lot of different types of races as well. It's not just the same kind of race over and over again. Though it is a lot of the same stuff when the, the guys get to the finish line. It's them, you know, just pumping away and making faces at the camera going, so that, that kind of gets a little bit old. Where it starts, starts to fall away is when it tries to give each of these characters some kind of narrative tension. Uh, Eddie's character, when he goes off to his, his new team, he becomes team captain. He takes over the sprinter position. And he's not a very good leader. And he has anger issues when it comes because he's used to being the, the, the guy who gets all the attention, but he doesn't know how to lead his teammates well. Sean Doe's character tries to raise his game, but he has a physical, uh, a 
thing that hinders him. His, he can't get his heart rate up, so he ends up uh, trying to turn to alternative means to, to overcome that. And that kind of takes him down a dark path. And then um, the Jiwon character is dealing with incompetent managers who are doing things that are undercutting him as he's rising to join a, a, a higher division, which is a bit more professional. Um, but he wants to continue his rivalry with uh, Eddie Peng's character and some of the lower division races. So these things kind of come into play, and each character also has family issues, um, but these only come up for brief moments. Eddie gets a couple issues with his character having a bad relationship with his mother. Uh, G1 has one scene with a guy who is, I guess, his brother. And Sean Doe's character has a scene with a guy who's, I get, think, is his father and questioning, you know, about being a bike racer as a, as a career path. Typical stuff that we've, we've kind of seen structured before. So the backstory here, the narrative stuff that's going on outside of the races, it's very color by numbers. It's stuff that uh, doesn't seem as well thought through as it could have been. And it's stuff that you will recognize as, as very much of a template from other films um, in this kind of genre and in, you know, just the, the, the romantic genre in general. Um, but I'd, I'd say this is still a huge production in terms of some of the stuff that they're doing. By the end of the film, um, it, you know, you see all these outtakes and these accidents and, and these things that were happening trying to do this. And so I, a lot of credit to the film directors here and the, produ and the producers and the choreographers and everybody who's kind of working to, to get a lot of these bike racing shots because that's not uh, easy filmmaking by you know any way shape or form so it's a little bit understandable i think that they weren't so emphasized so much emphasizing the narrative here because they were really just trying to i think to bang out uh, a film about bike racing and making that exciting so kevin you saw this right i did yeah. i did see this yes are you a bike racing fan i i know how to bike you know that, that, do, you, that do, do, you, do you still have training wheels on your bike no, no I, t I got those off recently actually okay. believe it or not <laughs> no I, I i gosh i don't know what else what i can say within the bounds of you know being a professional um you know the, the bike racing scenes are interesting but one kind of interesting um trend that um I guess you're seeing this these couple these two years in Hong Kong cinema is that there's an over reliance on using drones, mm. um, and when you're trying to shoot from a drone, you're not using the type of high resolution cameras that that films are using because I mean obviously the the real things are too heavy. Even though we've now gone all digital, it's it's you know they're still very heavy cameras. And but to get those you know aerial footage, they're, they're using drones instead of helicopters because it's it's much cheaper. So you see, um, Triumph in the skies, uh, the the big wide shots in the UK, um, they're using drones, and the the decoration degradation of the quality, the video quality is actually quite obvious uh, when you're watching it on the big screen. I'm not mm. sure how they look on the TV screen, but um, Paul, I, I, so I'm not sure if you noticed, Paul, that like a, a number, a good number of the racing sequences featured these degraded drone shots. 
and and I think that was um you know I, I it's I don't know if it's it, it's a thing about the quality of the film itself, but I think it's something that filmmakers should really start to watch out for. Yes, I know it cuts costs and filmmaking is expensive, but you know you you can't sacrifice video quality uh, um, for the sake of getting a drone shot, um, especially when those shots. Um, clearly, actually, can take an, the audience out of a film. Just you know, have these weird, these weird um, uh, shots with weird visual quality. Yeah. Um, I mean, Western films also use drones and, and aerial shots and new ways of shooting aerials. But I, you know, then why? What? What are they doing? And what are we not doing? You know, it's not like China lacks a lot of money. I mean, this film was that was not made on low budget. You could tell because it went. You know they had one day a ton of product product placements and and they went to the freaking desert for crying out loud. So I mean obviously they they put money into it. So why can't they put a bit just a little bit more money into proper aerial shots? Yeah, yeah. There was there were there was a couple uh, interesting aspects. I think towards the end there was an actual real race lineup where they actually had uh, the characters next to. The, the the requisite pro athlete uh and i don't know if they just kind of stuck them out in in the lineup right before a race timer or, or how they did that shot but it looked like uh a, a different kind of a shot you know that than the rest of the film and I, I noticed that so and yeah the you look at the credits too and it's like just tons and tons of sponsors from different bike companies and and uh you know that that kind of stuff uh going through you know i I, I, more than usual i would say uh, for a hong kong film with with regard to the drone thing i mean we've got uber helicopter now in hong kong right so you just uh whip out your app and uh, order a helicopter and shoot some stuff right well pretty (laughs) installing the camera and all that stuff is but but i i just you know Especially Triumph in the Skies. I mean, that did, never makes sense to me. The film is supposed to sell pretty people and pretty scenery. And and most actually, and, and the thing about Triumph in the Skies, I think it is one of the better, one of the most beautifully shot Hong Kong films in a long time. And yet, they went for drone shots um, on those really pretty... I watched that movie in the IMAX cinema for crying out loud. I mean, there's no IMAX version, but um, it was the holidays and they're playing the film in the IMAX cinema because that's how they put in enough people. But um, um, anyway, so blown up on that screen, it looked especially, like, odd. Um, to me, it's just talking about professionalism. You want Chinese mm. cinema. We I, talked I th- about earlier about record-breaking, you know, the way that Chinese cinema's breaking records. You, if you want to play with the big boys, you want to make big boys money, you have to play like the big boys. Well, but I think this is a, a te- technological transition. This is going to probably be the way of the future for filmmaking. And the technology will get better, the resolutions will get better, they'll get better storage and better, uh, you know, better transmission uh whatnots as long as they're not uh, you know violating airspace that's gonna, probably going to be an issue for filmmakers but, but it's like anything you know you look at uh, cg graphics back in the you know early 90s and they look terrible but a lot of directors used them because that was the the coming thing so i guess it's just, this is just one of the things that you know some directors are more comfortable 
going with and experimenting with. And, you know, it, it's interesting because as you mentioned those shots, I know that one of the things, as I said, going through my mind was, was it, you know, was it a drone? Was it an actual, um, you know, race? Was it CG? You know, because sometimes they'll, you know, they'll throw in little tiny CG people. You can see that in a lot of period piece films where they've got like an army running on the ground. And you can kind of tell that, you know, okay, that's not a real army of extras. That's, you know, computer graphic guys because it just doesn't look entirely right. And I think the resolution issue was probably what was causing me to question some of those scenes. No, I, I think they definitely did the scenes. They definitely closed the streets and they probably held the fake racing. I mean, the, the fake street race, which is why the, the drone, the way they cost cut is actually extra frustrating. Hmm. So, meh, you know, it's, but, but I think, I think Dante Lamb did, you know, put a lot of work into holding these street races and, and I think, I guess shooting in Taiwan helped because Taiwan, the, the film commissions in Taiwan, they're a lot more helpful than Hong Kong one because there is none in Hong Kong, nothing like this in Hong Kong. And, um, they very much support film production and I think they were able to get a lot more done in Taiwan and even in China than, than in Hong Kong. So they got some really interesting footage. They got some really good footage. Um, so that's, it's, it was just kind of distracting that they, they, that, that happened. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, the, the idea too of bike racing, is that something that excites you? The, the, it's, 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 a, it's a, uh, it's a new idea. You know, it's it's you know it's just another it's essentially sports film, right? It's a yeah. sports film, and it is um, something that I do see. You know, on the weekends, I do see quite a few people on bikes going up the mountain here, uh, where I live, riding up the street. A lot of times, in what looks like somewhat professional gear. You know, they're obviously not. Uh, uh, well, how how can I put this nicely? They're not professionals because a lot of them have the cupcake belly going you know so they're not racing <laughs> professionally. but they're certainly dressed to the nines to look like it they've got the gear they've got the spandex whatnots they've got the professional looking kind of like a racing shirt they just don't have the eddie peng like physique for it so uh i guess that, yeah that this is a this is certainly something that more and more people are getting interested in though i don't think it's going to surpass uh soccer anytime soon right no, but but it's you know it's cool that Dante found a new sports to you know this it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting attempt I think it's a good um, choice I guess I mean yeah I, I heard a rumor that there's actually a Hong Kong a similar Hong Kong film coming or being made is that do you know anything about that but uh, about cycling yeah no I don't think so there is a um, a film about Lance Armstrong is coming out at the end of the year. Mm. Uh, so that's another cycling film. But no, as far as I know, there's no other um, cycling film coming, as okay. far as I know. Well, there you heard it. This is the cycling film, if that's for you folks. So uh, get out and watch it when you get a chance. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more.
All right, you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can follow us over on Twitter, twitter.com slash congcast. You can email us, that is eastscreen at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear some feedback for you, what you think, what you like, what you don't. Uh, if you have a short review you'd like for us to share it or a question or two, uh, do drop us an email or pop over to Facebook. We are at uh, facebook.com slash eastswests, and you can leave us some feedback over there as well. Uh, Kevin, now that you're off into the air and, and into uh, other new things, where can people follow you and what you're doing? Um, well, until until the October issue is out, you can still um, follow me on Film Business Asia. I'm still writing there, obviously. Um, so you can follow my daily news writing at uh, www.filmbiz.asia. That's F-I-L-M-B-I-Z. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Yeah, and you can email me at, as always, at Kevin at filmbiz.asia. All right, excellent. And so our next show will be number 170. The planned film for that is Attack on Titan, a movie which I actually went to the theater to watch, but as I was sitting in the seat, the attendant came up and told me I was four days too early. <laughs> yeah, so if you, yeah, if you, uh, you know, because we buy our tickets online, and I th- could have sworn the ticket was for that day and then i got they let me into the theater and i should have known because normally you go into the theater and they have the poster for the movie that's playing outside the theater and you know outside the house you're going to go into and it was like the fantastic four and i thought to myself hmm somebody forgot to change the the poster print right and i just walked in and sat down and then a couple other people came in about five minutes later the young usherette comes up and walks all the way to the back where I'm sitting because I like to sit in the back so I don't disturb people when I'm writing notes. And I thought, you know, she's going to do the head count thing or something, but no, she leaned over to me and said, sir, can I see your ticket? And I was like, okay, yeah. And she said, uh, I'm sorry, uh, this is the wrong date. I looked, I was like, what? And so I had to embarrassedly walk out of the cinema and they had to reattach my little ticket. And uh, yeah, I've got to go watch this movie again later because I was there on the wrong day. So... Uh, There you have it. I'll be talking about Attack on Titan, and Kevin will be back with more news, all of that, and much more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying always check your ticket date, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. I'll be talking about uh, the record buff. Okay, let me think about that. <laughs> Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen. I'll be talking about Char... <laughs> A record month. Okay, record month at the Chinese box office. Okay. <laughs>